0: You have your Bibles let's go ahead and open them up. The book of First John. Uh, if you're looking for first John, make your way almost to the uh back end of the Bible, and then you will find it. If you hit revelations, you went too far and if you hit the back cover, you definitely went too far uh we We started a journey last week into the the epistle or or the letter of First John, where we just chewed on the first four verses, and uh what, what John does is he chooses. Not to open with, "Hey, my name's John. Uh, I walked with Jesus. In fact, uh, Jesus calls me the disciple whom He loves. Uh, I am John, who is faster than Peter in a foot race. Uh, I've proven that in the Gospel of John." And instead of doing that, uh, he he just opens, and he is very determined to help us see Jesus. Uh, that that is his one sole. Focus And as we continue, uh, this will and this is uh, part of his clear desire all throughout these chapters. He wants us to see an intimate portrait of, of who Jesus is. And he wants us to understand uh, the role of Christ as he restores our fellowship with God the Father. But then he also wants to teach us about who God is. He wants to show us through these words that that God is, is primarily two things. He's going to spend the first three chapters developing the first theme in that God is light, uh, that, that He reveals uh, the darkness and He illuminates the path to healthy and holy living for us. And then uh, toward the end of it, He's going he's to change some gears and He's going to talk about not only is God light, but God is also love, uh, that, that God defines what love is. He models what love is as we operate in and out of love we we know that we've learned this from God we we didn't learn it from Hallmark we didn't learn it from movies we didn't learn it from the playground we we learn and model what true love is based on how God has decided to treat us and and so uh as, as we wrapped up last week I told you that there's a there's really John's going to will he'll, he's going to weave three themes consistently throughout these verses. That, that's going to, the themes of, of obedience, of love, and truth. Obedience, love, truth. Obedience, love, truth. And the reason why these are important to note is because they help us understand what life with God should look like. Uh, God doesn't just leave us. doesn't say, hey, you need to get saved. Just figure it out. And if you've done it right, then it'll end up really well for you. No, in His Word, He talks to us about The role of of obedience, love, and truth, and uh, and if you remove any one of those, and you try to lean solely on them, uh, you're you're not going to be able to walk in a relationship that that God has provided for you in Jesus, and the in the way that God empowers it through the Holy Spirit. And so, and so, so if you try to, for instance, if you try to meet with God solely through obedience, what you will find. Uh, is is a religion that you just crumble under. Uh, it will bring you absolutely no joy. Uh, if, if you try to pull that out and say, uh, I'm just going to lean solely into uh, the fact that God loves me, uh, you're going to find yourself trying to walk with a prodigal God with two feet in two different worlds. Uh, you, will, you will always try to say, well, God doesn't think sin's that big of a deal, therefore... He'll just wipe it away. No, no harm, no, no foul, right? Uh, and then thirdly, if you lean uh, on, on just trying to, uh, on the theme of truth, what you find is that you will have a lot of head knowledge about what God, who God is, what God does, but you will have zero desire to pursue holiness. Uh, you'll know what to do, you just won't want to do those things. Uh, and so, so this, this all operates together obedience, love, and truth. As we pursue this, all of these themes will help us understand the fullness of the life God intends for His children. And, uh, and, and I mention this because the verses that we're going to walk to uh, this morning are, are going to draw some, some pretty clear lines in the sand. Uh, in fact, what, what John is going to do is, he's going to say, hey, those moments of your life where you want to claim allegiance to Christ but you want to live in a way that's counter to what Christ has told you to do, he's going to give us a a big three-letter word. He's going to say that's sin. Uh, And he says you have to deal with that. Okay? So I know you were kind of hoping for like a St. Patrick's Day lesson, right? Where we just pinched each other who didn't wear green, which, go ahead, pinch me. We'll see what happens. It'll hurt me, and then you will feel bad because I'm crying. And you're like, hey, I shouldn't have done that. Um, but we're going we're to walk through this mainly because we're walking through First John, and this is what John is telling us to deal with. And so let's pray, and then let's dive in. Father, we come to you, and we are so very thankful for your willingness to speak great truths into our lives. And I pray this morning, as as we talk about uh, the topic of sin, that that we wouldn't think of this as as abstract thought or or foreign thoughts to us, but that, that your Holy Spirit would bring to mind very real sins that we deal with. Very real ones that we struggle with. And Father, what I pray would happen this morning is that if we feel a guilt in this room that it would only be a motivating guilt. That it would pursue us to pursue you. That it would cause us to pursue you more and more. And so, Father, we lean into your word this morning. We lean into your Holy Spirit that he would speak to our hearts. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. All right, I appreciate this section. Because it's going to help us understand a very real enemy in our lives. When I say we all struggle with sin, uh, by and large, the group's like, "Duh, right?" I mean, that's we we get that. You know, what we want is typically what we want when it comes to sin is just the easy fix. Uh, We want, "Hey, I just need the pill uh, that I could take that fixes that," or uh, "I just need to know um, how quickly I won't have to deal with." the temptation of certain, certain aspects of my life. And, but John, he's going to mention uh, in these verses, he's going to mention sin nine times, and he's going to draw us to identify the subject so that we can better see what God is calling for in our lives. That, that, that he's going to illustrate this by contrasting between light and darkness. Uh, he's going to say God is light, he's going to say sin is darkness. He says you, you decide where you want to live. Do you want to live in the light or do you want to live in the dark? But if you want to live in the light, understand darkness can't follow in. It doesn't work that way. And and so so there's another contrast he's gonna walk through. He's gonna walk us into, uh, and it's it's the contrast between saying and doing. Okay, one of the things I loved about when we walked through the book of James was was James's willingness to say, "Hey, listen, it's easy to say you're walking with God." Uh, but it's another thing to actually put those things into practice, put those words in. And John is just going to keep with with that thought, that, that what we're dealing with is that, that it's clear, if you are in Christ, that, that your life should amount to more than talk, uh, that, that you must also put that talk into action. So when you say something, your life better live up to it, because if not, what, we have a word for that. What is that? It's hypocrite. Yeah, hypocrite. Hypocritical living. And God says, I, I have no desire to help you play that game. So anytime you decide you want to try to play that game, just know God will come in and says, I'm not I'm not enabling that. Uh, I will consistently bring to your mind what you need to remove from your life so that you can walk fully in the love and the life that, that I have made possible for you in, in Christ. And so, uh, so, so, so the way he works, if, if we're in fellowship with God, John's going to say we are walking in the light. Uh, our lives will, will back up what our lips are saying, but if we are living in sin, we are walking in darkness. This is as simple as we can kind of explain it. Uh, and then our lives will contradict what our lips are saying. And, and so, so the New Testament says, you know, the Christian life is is a journey, and it starts, okay, understand this, your point of salvation was not the end of a story, it's the beginning of it, okay? It's the end of your old self, but it's the beginning of your new life, and, and so, so when you take a step of faith, when you trust Jesus as your Savior, salvation is not the end, it's the beginning of your spiritual life, and so walking involves progress, and Christians are supposed to pursue growing. Or, or more accurately, to pursue holiness, uh, to pursue being set apart for the gospel of, of Christ. So, so just like a, a kid, uh, a child must learn to walk, uh, they have to overcome the obstacles to do so. We, as Christians, also have to grow up and walk in the light. And so the, the fundamental difficulty, though, of us walking in the light is the setting sin. And this, is, this is where John takes us. Are you ready to go, Lawson? Let's just read it, and then we'll kind of come back through. Because there's three things I want us to deal with. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If you like to underline, boy, that, that will make you look smart. Like one day when you die and somebody's looking at your Bible, you're like, oh, that looks spiritual. Uh, and in Him... Is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship in, with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from, what's that word? All. I said word, not words. All sin. Right? But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, this is one of my favorite verses in all of First John. If we confess our sins, He is faithful, and He is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him, now who's Him there? God, a liar. And His Word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children. Uh, don't you love that? You're like, my little children. Like, It'd be great if you saw him as a dad, but if you don't know him, you're like, jerk. Uh, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him. Okay, this is, oh man, this is good, right? How do we know that we are in Christ? And he simply says this, if we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, right? That's hard words. Like, John, you don't know me, but that's true. And the truth is not in him. Verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides uh, in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And now we're referring to Jesus. What a novel concept, right? That the people who claim to have their lives wrapped up in Christ would actually live in a way that looks like Jesus. That's, that's all John is telling us. And so, so as we curl up to the heart of the Father by talking about sin, uh, let's, let's understand that, that sin is not only outward uh, disobedience, but there's also inside of us inner rebellion. Uh, And that can be just as dangerous, just as deadly. The fact that that Christians battle sin uh, after coming to Christ bothers some people. uh, Because they honestly were sold a bad bill of goods. uh, Because they were sold this idea that every day is supposed to be sweeter than the next with Jesus. And though it is, there are times in our lives that it doesn't feel like that. Uh, and so what happens is, is we are like, well, I guess now that I know Jesus, I will never again deal with anger. I will never again deal with jealousy. I will, I will never again deal with. Uh, and we can just make it more personal if you would like, right? Uh, whatever yours is, go ahead, just say it out loud. Uh, no, no, it was a trick. It was a trick. So, so we say those these things, and what we forget is that. When we receive the new nature, he is just stronger than the old nature. But yet, the old nature is being put to death. So those old sins, they don't just go away. they're, They're there, and they're appetites that want to be fed. They want to be fed. And as you grow older, you know, there are just, sometimes it's the same, sometimes it's new ones. You say, well, I didn't see that coming in. But it's there. Like maybe the older you get, the the more anxious you are about what happens after you're done working. Maybe it's a story about where I find my security. You know, it, it was easy to find your security when it was your parents' responsibility to take care of you. You know, but adulting's hard work sometimes. And so, so but, but here's what John will tell us: that that no amount of self discipline, no. No set of man-made rules and regulations can control this old nature. Uh, and, and, and only the Holy Spirit of God can enable us to put to death those parts of the old nature. And, 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 and a byproduct of that is you get fruit. You get a life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, so you read your Bible, and I don't know if you've ever done this, uh, but you're like, is there anybody that's good in the Bible at times? Right. Uh, go to the Old Testament. Even the even our great heroes of faith have these moments of just like, what were you thinking doing those things? And and the Bible gives us those moments not to not to crush us, but to show us what to avoid. Like, hey, he did that. Don't do that. Hey, he did this great thing. Model that. And so outside of Jesus, you know, even the disciples at times they all look like idiots. And so, so when we see those things at play, God is, God is being very gracious to us. And so, therefore, we, we have to deal with our sins if we are to enjoy the life that is real. And, and so John, in this section, gives us three approaches to sin. Okay, the first one uh, is going to be kind of hard. Uh, the other two will be much nicer because we get to talk about Jesus, right? Uh, the first one, we'll just talk about ourselves. And he says this in our talk notes. Uh, number one, uh, w- when we approach sin, the first thing we try to do is we try to cover our sins. We try to cover them. We try to, to put them away. We're going to see that in uh, verses 5 and 6, verses 8, verses 10, and then in 2-4. So verse 5 opens up and it says, God is is light, in Him there is no darkness at all. And so so when we are saved, God calls us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That's, that's the word that the Bible describes it. It's a, it's a marvelous light. And now here's what you need to understand. He didn't save you and call you into that light so that you can go back into the darkness. This is a theme all throughout the New Testament. Paul will say, hey, the way Paul puts it, he says, change your clothes. He says, he says you, were, you were wearing grave clothes, clothes that reeked of death, the... the, the the scent of sin. And he says, when Christ came, he gives you new clothes, so don't go back to the closet and put on the old stuff again. And this is what, what John tells us, that God calls us out of the darkness into his light because, uh, because light produces life and growth and beauty, and sin is in darkness. And darkness and light cannot coexist. They can't be in the same place. And so if we're walking in the light, the darkness has to go. That's why, that's why when, when we say things in the name of Jesus, there's great power in it. Because darkness has to flee. They can't overcome the light. But then what God says is, if you choose to live in darkness, I will remove my light. I will, I will cause you to not be able to see just how dangerous and deadly that life is. And so, so there, there, there's no middle ground. There's no vague um, gray area where sin is concerned. And so, so the question is, how do Christians, and this is, we're just going to talk about Christians today, um, but how do, how do Christians cover up their sins? And, and mainly what John says is, we tell lies. We tell lies. says the first lie that we tell is is to others and he opens uh, verse six with if we say we have fellowship with him right so if i tell you i have a relationship with god but he says while we walk in darkness we lie and we don't practice the truth and do you realize your relationship is different your relationship with god is different than your attendance in church are we on the same page about that because so many people say, "Well, I go to church, therefore I must be walking with God," and that's only part of this great adventure. And so, so, so the reason I think we we do these things that we say we have fellowship with God is is we want to impress people, right? Or we don't want to feel alienated from people, and so we tell them, "I, I have a relationship with God. I, I I know God." And and really, what happens is we lie about our lives. We we don't want to look weak so we put on a strong front. Um, and what this actually does, and I don't think we realize it, is that action pushes us actually further from authentic community. Because people aren't uh, they aren't getting to know the real you. So they don't know the best ways to encourage you and the best ways to challenge you and the best ways to pray for you because all you've presented is a false and so, so it's, it's a dangerous game to play, especially when we, we play this trying to compare spirituality um, with each other. When we try to compete for who gets, I don't know, be more awesome, leveled up in spiritualness, right? And you do this long enough, and you take the next step in telling lies, and, and you begin to, number two, lie to yourself. You begin to lie to yourself. Verse 8 puts it this way. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And now the problem uh, is is not deceiving others, but deceiving ourselves. It is possible for a, a believer to live in sin long enough and convince yourselves that, well, I didn't die, therefore God must be okay with it. And He never is. God will never look at you and say, you know that blatant sin that you have in your life? It's cool, don't worry about it. Never once will He do that. No matter how many times you try to convince Him of that, no matter how many times you try to drown out the Holy Spirit to say, hey, that's not healthy for you. That's not the, what's best for you. But yet we can very easily try to deceive ourselves. And I think I think one of the classic examples of this uh, is in uh, First Samuel, I'm sorry, in 2 Samuel, uh, chapters 11 and 12, uh, there's this really famous scene. If you never heard of it, boy, you need to spend some time there because it's, it's pretty nutty. Uh, there's a guy named David. He's the king. In fact, David is a king uh, who God says, he's a man after my own heart. And one day when uh, there, the nation of Israel is supposed to go to war, David stays at home. And he's standing on top of the castle and he's bored and he looks over and he sees a lady bathing named Bathsheba. Okay? Now most of us kind of, we know this story, right? He says, "Hey, that looks nice. Let's get some of that action." And that's the way the Bible puts it. Um, him and Bathsheba have relations. She finds out, "I'm pregnant, and he says, "Oh no." And so he creates this play where he calls, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, home, and he says, I know what I'll do. He's at war. I'll let him see his hot wife, and then sparks will fly, and then we won't worry about the map on that thing, and then nobody will know. We can cover up my actions here. Then it turns out, the problem is, Uriah is a noble person, and he says, if my men, who I fight alongside, if, if they're not spending time with their wives, then I'm not. Then he tries multiple times, and can't do it. And so, so David decides what he has to do. Instead of covering this up, he has to take it a step further and he's going to put Uriah on the front lines and he's going to have all the men withdraw to where Uriah dies. Right? I know this part of the story? It's pretty crazy. Uriah dies and David, in an act of nobility, takes hot wife Bathsheba and says, Hey, come with me. I'll take you off the streets. And she has a kid. And he goes on with his life. He just says, Not a problem. Then all of a sudden, one of his chief counselors, the prophet Nathan, comes to the door and he tells him this story about, about a, a family who had a goat who cherished this goat, loved this goat. It was part of the family. And then next door neighbor stole the goat, killed it. And David's enraged and he says, Let's kill this guy. Let's do it. Let's go. That guy deserves death. I'm the king. We can make that happen, right? And he looks around. And then Nathan looks at him and says this one thing. It's so incredible. He goes, you are that man, David. You. And in a moment, what David thought has been covered up is out in the open. And then there were some really gracious Merciful words that God's told Nathan to tell David. Like it's amazing to me. He looks at him, and almost like, like it like it broke the heart of the father for David to do what he's done. Because I believe it did. And he looks at him and he goes, "I've given you a kingdom. I've given you lands. I've given you I've given you everything that you could imagine that you wanted." And he says this, And if it wasn't enough, I'd have given you even more. But what you have done, David, it's deadly. It's deadly. And, and it cost him a son. It cost him a child. Bathsheba gives birth, and God says, I'm taking that baby. And you will live in the consequence of your actions for the rest of your life. And that began a, a really really painful season, an ongoing season of his life. And if you paid it, just keep reading it, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. But there's great restoration in this story. And so we, we deceive ourselves. And, and if we're not careful, the spiritual decline becomes still worse because the next step, number three, is we try to lie to God. We lie to God. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And the word is not in us. Well, how do we make God a liar? Well, he's clearly told us, especially in Romans, that we've all sinned. So to walk around and say, well, I don't deal with sin in my life. that's You're, you're, you're making God out to be a liar. We, we apply God's word in, in this action, but we, we apply it to ourselves, but not... I'm sorry, we apply... God's word to others, but not ourselves. The Bible becomes a weapon and not a cherished guide. Our hearts can stand in the presence of the King and yet be unstirred. Like, you realize that. That any moment you stand in the presence of, of the King, something should be going on in your heart. Like joy and awareness of your insignificance. Sometimes both of those things at the same time. And it's 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 deadly and it's a dangerous place to take your heart when you say I'm I don't struggle with sin. This is all it's a hard place. I promise we're going to get to a good place in just a second. Uh, but 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 the Christian who walks in these kind of lies, it's devastating because they never really find Community. This is what John has told us. We're talking about how do we find fellowship with one another, and he says the key is our relationship with God. And, and what we'll find a little bit more specifically is is Christ binds us together. Uh, he is the reason why so many people in this room, who can be so very different from each other, can find community with one another. That it's it's Christ who draws us together, and so. But, but if, we, if we choose to live in the lie, we, we can never really find community because we never really deal with the root of the issue because we can't ever really see ourselves as a person who would do that. Or not do that. And by extension, we're never really honest um, with God about our desperate need for a new and a clean and a pure heart, and it's a tragedy because this person loses the word they lose God in these lies, and they, and James says they they stop doing the truth in verse six. Uh, then the truth is no longer in him in verse eight, and then they turn the truth into lies in verse ten. That that they they lose fellowship with God and God's people. So the result is is simply this. And maybe maybe you find yourself here. Okay, this is this is the danger that I, I find as I walk through this. As I'm saying, God is. Is this me at times? Because you follow this lie, these lives long enough, and and, and the result is, is is that prayer becomes an empty form, and worship is a dull routine, and, and and that person becomes critical of other Christians, and eventually, what happens is is they just withdraw from the community altogether. That, that covering our sins is dangerous because. Though they may be covered from each other, they are never hidden from God. Never once. And now, I don't say that to guilt you. or say, ooh, God sees it. You know? I don't, I don't say that to bring you shame. I, I say that to encourage you to deal with sin as God intended. That you would own up to it. And this leads us to number two. This is where we get to start, start talking about some nice, fun things. Right? That we, we confess our sins. As, as we talk about approaching, how we approach sins, that number two, we can confess our sins. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the, the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all sin unrighteousness. Now, now, what happens is, is in this section, John gives two titles to Jesus. Okay? They're incredibly important for us to understand because they are extensions of who Jesus is. These two roles, are, Jesus is the only one in our lives that can perform these two roles. Okay? Now, part of our issues is we ask other people to do this. Okay? And John says it'll never happen. It'll never happen. That, that he, he talks about Jesus being our advocate and he talks about Jesus being our propitiation. Right? This is just a fun word to say. Say that with me. Propitiation. It was fun, right? No? Alright, here we go. Um, let's talk about that one. Let's talk about propitiation first. Uh, if you look up the word in the dictionary, don't do it. Okay? Uh, but if you look it up in the dictionary, you, I think you get the wrong idea about what it means. Because the dictionary tells us to propitiate uh, means to appease someone who is angry. And so if you think of that in the context of the Bible, you get a very false view of, of who God is. So if you apply this to Christ, you get this horrible picture of an angry God about to destroy the world and a, and a loving Savior giving himself to appease the irate God. And, and for some of us, that's the image of the God we have grown up with. That He is wrathful, and He is mean, and He hates everything. And that then Jesus comes along, and it's like He's trying to pull them back, right? Or He's trying to stand in front of you to take the bullets. And the issue is that that's that's not the God of of the Bible. In fact, certainly God is angry at sin. We don't don't make any... um, Adjustments to that. Uh, after all, he's, he's infinitely holy. But, but the Bible assures us that God so loved the world, right? In fact, James. Oh, John is going to tell us a little bit later, God is love. And so, so the word propitiation doesn't mean appeasing, the appeasing of an angry God. Rather, it means the satisfying of God's holy law. So, so God is, is light, as verse 5 tells us. Therefore, He cannot close His eyes to sin. But God is also love. We're going to find this out, First John chapter 4, verse 8, in like six weeks. Okay? Maybe seven. I don't know. And so not only is He light, but He's love, and He wants to save sinners. And so, so the question is, how can a holy God uphold His own justice and still forgive Sinners, and the answer is in the sacrifice of Christ, at the cross. That, that God in His holiness judges sin. God in His love offers Christ to the world as Savior. So, so, so God was just in that He punished sin, but He's also loving in that He offers free forgiveness through what Jesus has done for us at Calvary. And these are those moments that if you don't think through that in a personal level, your heart will never change that this was done for you, and then Christ is the sacrifice for the sins of the world, um, but but, he, but he's also an advocate, but only for believers yeah, that that we Christians have an advocate with the Father, and the word advocate used to, to it's applied mainly to lawyers it's a person who um when, when the word John uses here, in the same words that, that Jesus used when he was talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, it means it means literally one called alongside. And, and so, so, so when a man is summoned to court, uh, he he takes an advocate with him, a lawyer who serves as an in between because uh, they know what they're doing. Okay, if if you if you've ever decided to represent yourself in court. I would not recommend that at all. At all. Okay? Because there are people there who are qualified to present an argument on your behalf. And they're smarter than you, right? Is that true, Jamie? Is that how you feel? She's a lawyer. um, And so she's always like, Hey, I'm smart. It's like, Hi, my name's Jamie. I'm smarter than everybody. Uh, That's the way you work? And so what you need in that moment... Is an advocate. So, so now let's, let's take our little civil issues that we have. Let's talk about our people's court, right? Which is already a good illustration for why you don't represent yourself in court. Okay? Now, now take your argument of your sinfulness before a holy and a just God who is to judge you. And say, well, I tried. Objection. What are you objecting? I don't know. I just watch Law and Order. And that's what they do. Take your sin before a just God and a holy God. And then try to present an argument for why you should be forgiven. You need an advocate. And so not only do you need an advocate, you need a good one. Like perhaps one who has never sinned. Perhaps one that can stand between you and a just and a holy judge and say, let me plead my case for them. They're ours. I died for this one. I've rescued this one from sin. He's guilty of it. But I'll take, I've taken that. I've taken the price of that sin upon myself. You sent me there. And so in Christ we have an advocate because our sin does not give us access to the Father. So Jesus finished his work on the cross, on the earth. John 17 will tell us this, that the work of giving his life as a sacrifice for sin. And today he has an unfinished work in heaven. He represents us before God's throne. Do you realize that, that that's why when we pray, we pray to God our Father, right? And then at the end, we always say, and in Jesus' name, amen. Right? We do that because Jesus serves as our advocate. We speak to the Father through the Son. Right? So it's not just a phrase that you say. It's, it's very important that we would understand that. We don't pray to Jesus. We pray to the Father through the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the way this thing works. That's not even in my notes. We've got to get going. So the Bible so our question is, what do I do, what does Jesus tell me to do when I sin? Right? What does Jesus tell me to do? We're going to find this in verse 9. It says this, confess. He says, you you confess. So now the question is, what does it mean to confess? Right? Is it to say, oh, my bad. I guess that, that one's on me. No, that's not, that's not it. To confess means to, to say the same things about. To confess means to say the same things about your sin that God says about it. I've broken your law. I've, I have sinned against you. And in my confession, I agree that you're, you're right. Not that God is ever like, oh, finally, someone thinks I'm right. Confession, is, 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 it's not praying a lovely prayer, it's not making pious excuses or trying to impress God and other Christ, uh, other Christians. True confession is naming sin, calling it by name what God calls it. Envy, lust, hatred, deceit, idolatry, whatever it can be. But you would call it what it is. And confession simply means being honest with ourselves and with God, and if others are involved, being honest with them too. It's more than admitting sin. It means judging sin and facing it squarely. So when we confess our sins, this is an incredible promise in verse 9. It says, He is faithful and He is just to forgive those sins. Now the struggle is, a lot of times when we confess a sin, we feel the guilt of that sin, and we confess it, and we say, I know that the Bible says that God forgives me, but I have not forgiven myself yet, therefore God must not have forgiven me. And that's a lie. It's a lie. Because the promise of God isn't required, um, your, isn't based upon your feelings. So, so a lot of us still walk in the guilt of sin, thinking that God hasn't forgiven us. When if we have confessed, and if we are walking in repentance, the promise is that God has forgiven that. So we don't have to be tethered to that any longer. And so, so when should we confess our sin? And the question, the, the answer is really just Sundays, um, as we're wrapping up. And we say, if you need prayer, uh, no, you do it immediately. You do it immediately. Proverbs chapter twenty eight says this way Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So so by walking in the light, we're able to see the dirt in our lives and deal with it immediately. And and this leads to our third way of dealing with sin. Is that we can conquer sin. I know that's that might sound bold. Right? But this is, what, this is what John's telling us in verse 5. He says, he makes it clear that you do not have to sin. He says, he says, I'm writing these things. Everything in 1 John is written underneath this umbrella of you do not have to sin. So I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. And then he gives us the follow-up. But if you do, let's talk about Jesus. And so so the secret to this victory is going to be found in verse 7. We're not getting there, we'll get there next week, and um, that we would walk in the light. So walk in the light means to be honest with God, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with others. And it means that when the light reveals our sin to us, we immediately confess it to God and we claim His forgiveness. Immediately. And if our sin injures another person, we ask their forgiveness too. We swallow our pride and we ask their forgiveness. But... But walking in the light means also means something else. It means obeying God's word. We're going to find we find that in First in John chapters two, verse three and four. Uh, Psalm one nineteen says says Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And so, so to walk in His light means to spend time daily in, in God's word, discovering His will, and then obeying what He's told us to do. So, so, so obedience to God's word is proof of our love for him. This is this is what Jesus has told us. He says they will know your disciples by how you love one another. And so to live differently there is is an issue. That, so Okay, let's let's talk about we're we're going to wrap this up in a second. There there are three motives for obedience. Okay? And if you're a parent, I think you I think you can understand this illustration. Um, we can obey because we have to. We can obey because we need to. And we can obey because we want to. Right? Uh, we have to, we need to, we want to. We have to, we need to, we want to. So, so a slave, for instance, um, would obey because he has to. Uh, if he wasn't willing to obey, he would be punished. An, an employee obeys because he needs to. He might not enjoy his work all the time, and, but he does enjoy getting the paycheck for the work because he needs to put food on the table and a roof over the heads of his family. But the Christian is to obey the, his Heavenly Father because he wants to. And that, Right there, that's a whole lesson in itself, right? That's a whole series of lessons in itself. The Christian obeys because he wants to, for the relationship between him and God is built on love. John 14, 5. If you love me, keep my commandments. This is this is the way we we've learned obedience when we were kids, right? Like, you, you first obey your parents because you have to. They have all the control and if you don't, what happens? You get spanked. I mean, I don't know if that's what you did in your life. We got spanked. And then as you grew up, you discovered obedience meant certain enjoyments and certain rewards. If I disobeyed, there was punishment. If I obeyed, there was rewards. And, and so, so we started obeying because it, it met certain needs in our lives. And, but when your relationship is established on love, there's the desire to do it just because. Because I, I love you. I want to do these things. I want to to obey what you're asking me to do. Let's, let's start wrapping this up, fun. All right. So there's a lot packed in here, right? Uh, we we went from one five to two six. That's like seventy eight verses, um, or like eleven. I don't know. And John John packs a lot here because. It's his desire that we would see Jesus for the Savior that he is, and we would see God as the merciful Father that he is. Like today, he's brought us good news. And my fear is that as we read these words, and we see that Jesus serves as our propitiation, and he serves as our advocate, we would say, yeah, okay, I, yeah, I prayed that prayer. I've, I've moved past that part. I've graduated from that brand, and give me something deeper. And what I'm telling you is, is this is the point of your life where you consistently and constantly find celebration in. That God is light, and in Him is no darkness. That the holiness of the Father changes everything about us. The fact that He looks at you, and He he demands or He commands, or, or He tells you, hey, this is the way to live. It's based on His holiness. Not because He's trying to rob you of, of joy that you think you should be pursuing. That God's great love for you has constantly told you the best and the healthiest way to live. And you want to know the tension that you feel? Sin. That's what it is. Almost all sin finds its root in idolatry. It's it's walking up to God and saying, I want you, but I also want ice cream today. And God says, that's not what's best for you. And he I get that, but I really like this ice cream. And so our struggle is that in our idolatry, and I think uh, Josh said this a couple of weeks ago, That in our idolatry, we make ourselves gods. And the problem with that is we are horrible gods. Horrible gods. And so John comes in and he says, when there's sin in your life, expose it. Now that's, that's counterintuitive of us, right? Because when we have sin in our lives, what do we want to do? Hide it. We want to shield it. From other people. And the problem is, the longer we shield it, the more we start to enjoy it. And the more devastating it becomes. Like it is. Like God wants you broken free of all these addictions that we have in our lives. There's no such thing as private sin. There just isn't. We might be able to fool each other. We shouldn't try. But we might be able to. And God says, I expose the sin with my light, not to shame you, but to liberate you. And now for that to be, for us to take that step, you can't do it thinking of God as the creator of all things. He's got to be your father. Christ has to be your Savior. The Holy Spirit has to be your Counselor. That's the way it works. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. Amy, you can sit. You can stay seated. You got an injury. We both know that's not true, right? As we wrap up today, we encourage you you need prayer we want to pray with you we desperately want to pray with you we we don't want to pray with you because it makes us look more spiritual we want to pray with you because we want to walk in community with you maybe you maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your propitiation I bet you none of you have done that part right or my advocate but today you need to know you can be set free From all bondage. You can. You can walk in the newness of life. And that simply starts by admitting what we've been talking about. I am a sinner. That Jesus took my place and now I can walk in fellowship with the Father. We want to walk with you in that. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love and your great word. Thank you that you've moved us from one place of our existence into an intimate relationship with you. And I pray that we would be a people that are honest about our sins. That we wouldn't attempt to cover them up and that we would try to bring it into the light as quickly as possible so that we can deal with it. We thank you that you are light. That darkness has no place around you. So Father, help us be people of light this week. Give us hearts that long to shine your light. Give us mouths that, that are determined to proclaim your light. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.